I pray that you would be filled, filled with the knowledge that God is gracious, filled by the understanding that in the gospel of Jesus Christ you have hope, so filled that it shapes every aspect of you. You're listening to Gospel Mindfulness, a podcast designed to help you experience the realities of the gospel in the different moments of your daily life. Here are your hosts, Betsy Hart and Pastor Jeff Ziegler. Welcome back to our listeners. This is Betsy Hart with Jeff Ziegler on Gospel Mindfulness. And uh, last week, we were talking about stuckness, Jeff, and not being able to change, not thinking we're capable of change. And we we began to talk about that it's the gospel that does allow us to change. And right. you kind of left us on a cliffhanger, you know, <laughs> as we're talking about uh, the book of Colossians. Right. And today, the discussion that we're, we're having in the, at the talk that you give takes us further into how this actually happens. I was struck listening to it at the the universality of what those first century Colossians were experiencing right. and what yep. we experience yes. in our culture. And some of the words you use are fear, failure, weakness. Um, those are things that we we carry around with us all day in right. our 21st century American culture, aren't they? But then you also talk about the gospel being the fear killer. Right. Can you give us a sense of yeah. what that's going to... So just two pieces of that. I, I, I'm not saying... All of our stuckness is due to fear, but I think quite a bit is. The, I, I remember when I was a kid in, in Little League, and I got stuck in terms of my ability even to hit the ball because every time a pitcher came, I was afraid that I swing at a bad pitch, so I never swung, and I couldn't get any better. And that fear that we're going to do something wrong or that fear that we're going to be exposed really does kind of keep us from moving forward. And the key about the gospel— No, 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 wait. I'm sorry. What happened? Did you ever overcome that fear? That's why I'm in the pros today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think the key of the gospel is it really declares to you, you don't need to be afraid of your past and you don't need to be afraid of your future. And there is nothing else that I know of that can declare that message. And, you know, as I'm listening to the Little League story, I'm thinking of how um, recent research on the self-esteem culture and so forth talks about this very thing that when we tell kids, let's say they're smart or they're, they're so fabulous and they can do this, oftentimes they will begin to fear failure. Right. And they'll yes. begin to fear disappointing and no longer having right. that description be true about themselves. And so in a very, you know, the secular research is showing that fear is really a huge reason for why we don't move forward. And what's interesting about that is that is kind of, it's an attempt to deal with that fear. You are great. You can really do this. But because I would say it ultimately is a false gospel that causes us to depend upon ourselves, it actually makes things worse. Okay. Let's listen in to the opening of the Gospel of Colossians, and uh, we'll learn a little bit more about what that looks like and talk on the other side. The gospel proclaims the grace of God, and the gospel proclaims hope. And Paul says, That's, that was the key for you. When you heard that God is gracious, and when you were given hope, it changed you. 
the gospel caused you to grow. Notice he wants to point out this was not just a one-time event. This was not an unusual situation. This is what the gospel does everywhere. Verse 6, he talks about how the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruits and increasing. Everywhere, when the gospel goes somewhere and people hear that they have hope, and when people hear that the reason they have hope is because the God of the universe is gracious and is not treating them as they deserve, but is welcoming them and forgiving, that has changed people. It's growing people. Things are happening. And Paul says, that's what happened to you. Here's how growth happened. You heard about grace, and you heard about hope. And when you heard these things, it changed everything. Because think about it, why, why do we have a hard time changing? Try to answer that question in your head right now. When there's things that we feel stuck with, what is it that keeps us from continuing to grow? My guess is that whatever answer you've come upon, in the end, if you trace it back to its very core, it has something to do with fear. We don't grow, we don't change, because at least so often of the time, we're afraid. We're afraid to try something different. We're afraid to step out and try new or more difficult things because we don't know what will happen, and we don't know if we're going to fail. Or even kind of tracing it back one step, we are sometimes unwilling to even acknowledge our own weakness, our own inadequacy, because if we do, we don't know what that will have to mean for us. We're afraid. When when we have problems with selfishness, what is it? It's a form of us trying to protect ourselves, a belief that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. Well, it's fear. When there's problems with arrogance, so often arrogance is a way of trying to deal with things, to believe that we can control, because if we don't think that we have the ability to control things, who knows what's going to happen? It's fear. We are stuck so often because fear keeps us from growing. Think about it. That's that's what's true of the person that I described at the very beginning. He was stuck where he was, holding on to everything, held captive in a very visible way by the past because he was afraid of letting it go. He could not change. It was fear. And the gospel, the gospel is a fear killer. Because think about it. Think of if if you really were fully, deeply convinced that the God of the universe is for you, that the one who's in control of all things is completely on your side and is committed to doing every good thing that you need. If you really believed that, You could love because you wouldn't need to worry about what happens to you. God's already got that under control. You're freed. You're not afraid anymore. If you know, truly know, that your future is awesome, that you have an inheritance that cannot be taken away and it is so, so good, then you can face life with reckless abandon. You can try things because you don't have to worry about losing it. See, the gospel disarms fear. Knowing grace, knowing hope, enables us to grow and to change. And Paul says, that's what happened to you. 
the key to growing, what happened already is you became convinced of the grace of God and hope, and that allowed you to grow and change, that you're filled with faith, you're filled with love. And so he says, that's how you need to continue to grow. Here's how you will change. Here's how you will become unstuck. Notice the prayer that he prays in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, and here's the prayer, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, at first it might seem to you like he's bringing up a new idea, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, because oftentimes when we think of knowing God's will, we're wondering, you know, should I become a plumber or a banker? What's God's will? Should I, should I marry Susie or Mary? What's God's will? But that's not at all what's going on here. When, when he's talking about God's will, he's saying God's plan, God's desire for you. He's talking about, I want you to know God's gracious commitment to do good for you. I want you to know that he has planned this great inheritance for you. In other words, when it's saying, I want you to know God's will, it's saying, I want you to know the gospel, that you have a God who is committed to loving you and rescuing you. That's what he's praying, that you would know the grace of God and the hope of the gospel. And we might wonder, wait a second, I thought he just said that they already understood the hope and the grace that comes in the gospel. So why is he praying for it now? But notice exactly what he's praying for. He doesn't just pray that you might kind of understand it. He's asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled. In other words, he's saying, this is what changed you before, and here's the key to growing, that this truth might go deeper and deeper and fill you more and more. Because we know that there's different levels that we can know something, don't we? Like, I could tell you right now, it's cold outside. And you, you know that, although right now it doesn't feel very real, because it's not cold right here, right? But say I said, okay, field trip, let's all walk outside, don't put your coats on, let's just go there, and I spoke to you for another 25 minutes while you were outdoors. You would be filled with the knowledge that it is cold. It would shape you in deep and frankly, uncomfortable ways. You would feel it to your core. It would shape the way you were treating me, most likely. It would shape the way that you were seeing things. It's a different level of knowing, right? Because you're experiencing it at a different level. And Paul is saying, I pray that you would be filled, filled with the knowledge that God is gracious, filled by the understanding that in the gospel of Jesus Christ you have hope. So filled that it shapes every aspect of you. Notice how he, he prays that you be filled with spiritual wisdom. Wisdom is a practical word. It's talking about the way that it shapes our day-to-day existence. He's praying that you and I would be so filled with this knowledge of God's grace and the hope that we have that it would shape the way we are when we are stuck in traffic and late that we would know God's grace and it would change us. That it would shape the way we feel when we get a zero on our assignments that we handed in because we forgot to hand it in in time. That, That God's grace, the hope that we have, would shape 
how we feel when our spouse forgets to do the dishes and it's their turn. It's this practical, spiritual wisdom. And notice what happens when he says, I want you to be filled with this knowledge. And the result is in verse 10. When this happens, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Do you hear all that's going to take place if we are filled with the knowledge of the gospel? Paul is saying you can grow in faith. You might feel stuck, but you can actually grow in your faith in Christ so that it shapes you more deeply and it gives you greater confidence. You and I can actually grow in our capacity to love so that we find ourselves caring more, giving of ourselves more. You and I can grow in our patience, our ability to endure confusion and suffering. We can grow in our marriage by implication. If we're growing these ways, we can grow in the way that we love our spouse. We can grow in our relationship with our children or with our parents or with our friends. We can have a new way of viewing our work so that it's no longer as frustrating. We can find joy even in the monotony. You and I can grow, Paul is saying, and the way that we grow foundationally is in the gospel. Because when you are filled with the knowledge of his grace and the knowledge of the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, it transforms us. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, whether this feels like this is too easy of an answer or you feel kind of stuck and you can't imagine growing. I want to ask you to just kind of bracket that, to put that aside, and just for at least a little while, hope that this is true, because I deeply believe that it is. I I put in the newsletter um, this Friday, one of the ways that I've been praying recently, ever since the men's retreat, is that our church would experience an unusual season of fruitfulness, that we would experience in tangible ways how Christ is at work in our lives, that we would ourselves change, that we'd see other people changing, we'd see people coming to Christ, that we would find a deeper passion as we come together. And I'm convinced that part of the answer to the prayer is found in Colossians. And it says the key to becoming unstuck is not by going to more than the gospel, it's that you need more of the gospel. So I want to ask you to do two things. One is just simply, hey, could you join with me in the next eight weeks? If you can come here every week, That'd be awesome. If not, maybe listen so that we can be, you know, let's listen online so that we can be working through this book together and really listening to what God has to say to us in Colossians. And the second one is also just really simple and practical, and that is, would you join with me in praying throughout this coming week the very prayer that Paul prays here in Colossians? I mean, we can strip it down. At its very heart, here is the prayer that Paul is praying. Father... Fill us with the knowledge of your will. That is, Father, fill us 
with the knowledge, fill us with the knowledge that you are gracious and that hope is real in Christ Jesus. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. To get really practical, if you're anything like me, if you want that to be a prayer, and I I would love it if we would think about praying this not just once, but kind of throughout the week as it comes to mind, I I need a reminder. Maybe you do too. So maybe if you have like a whiteboard that you have in the kitchen that has like calendar dates, you know, just write it down. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. Or if you're like a, you know, a memo sticky, you know, thing pattern, you can write it down and have it like pasted to your, your bathroom. Or, or maybe you need a, like kind of a, a ritual that reminds you. So every time you're brushing your teeth, you know that when you're brushing your teeth, you will be praying that prayer, Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. For me, I, I have it as now the, the wallpaper on my phone so that every time I turn the phone on, it's the first thing I see. Father, fill us with the knowledge of your will. I don't know how God will answer that prayer, but I know it's a prayer that honors him because it's one that he helped write. And I'm really interested in seeing what God is going to do. So would you please join with me in praying that throughout this week and with expecting that God will answer that and see what God does among us as we pray that he would fill us with the knowledge of his will so that we might grow. Great. Thanks, Jeff. That was really, um, really helpful. One of the things that jumped out at me is you felt that you needed to clarify what it means to understand the will of God. Right. So you, you felt that was something that needed to be understood beyond just the, the words of the gospel. Can you explain why that is? Well, I think so often when people say they want to know God's will— what they mean is they want some sort of special instructions for what they are to do with their life, what job they should do, what what person they should marry. And the problem with that is, one, that's not really the way Scripture speaks of God's will. And second, what that oftentimes turns our attention away from is the will of God that we most need to understand. And to realize that what we're supposed to be filled with the knowledge of is not whether I should marry so-and-so, but to be filled with the knowledge of God's love and his plan for us, that's where our attention really should be focused. And do we do that because it's it's almost easier to do a, should I do this job or that one than it is to, to get into some of these? It's a good question. Truths? I mean, I think there's probably a couple of things. I think we're always more prone to be interested in things that allow us to be self-reliant. And so if I know the instructions, then it's on me rather than realizing I have to continue to trust in God's love. And uh, I think it's also honestly a little frightening to say that God loves us and we have freedom to make choices. It's easier if we know the recipe. Okay. Well, that kind of then comes at a back way to my next question, which is we talked a lot or you talked about how the gospel changes, how it can change, and mm-hmm. even some practical guidance right, for helping right. that to, to happen. So what do you say when we're really seeking that change yes, and right. it doesn't happen? Right. So yeah. It, it's not a formula what you laid out, right. right? So what do we do with that when we're not seeing the change that we genuinely long for God to accomplish? And that's I'm so glad you asked that because— I think one of the dangers of maybe misunderstanding what I'm saying is that if we just get the words right, if we just get the technique right, then whatever aspect to who we are that we're struggling with, we will see within 60 days or your money back change, right? (laughs) And 
the, the thing about that is the moment it becomes a technique, it's something that we manage and have control over. What, what change fundamentally is about is the decentering of ourselves and Christ becoming the center of who we are. And oftentimes we have what I've heard someone describe as a desert experience. That is where we have expectations for what God is supposed to do and we pray for God to do things and then our experience is is different. And so we find ourselves in this confusing place. What we don't realize is oftentimes that's exactly the point. That oftentimes in the the agony of waiting and confusion, God actually is changing us. He is humbling us. He is making us more into the people we were created to be. It's just not what we signed up for when we asked for change. And so what do we what do we do with that? Right. Yeah, I think there is a training aspect to this that is not easy. Um, you know, Hebrews says that one of the signs of God's love for us is discipline. Discipline not in punishing us specifically for wrong deeds, but discipline in terms of shaping us. And one of the things that Hebrews also says is that it is not pleasant when we experience mm-hmm. it. And I do think we should recognize that when we're praying for change, when we're praying to be filled with the knowledge of God's will for us, His grace, so that we might bear fruit, we can anticipate times of discomfort because that's a sign of God's love. But that's why it's so important that we begin with this, that we begin with understanding the love of God. Because if we can understand that we don't have to be afraid of our past because of God's grace, and we don't have to be afraid of the future because of the certainty of hope, then that enables us to go boldly through times where things are not easy and even confusing. Okay, and we're going to be talking about this more in uh, the future as we work through the Gospel of Colossians. What I want to kind of close with today or end with is is a question about how we can discern, should we discern, when it changes being God-driven versus when I'm seeking Mm -hmm. or accepting let's say in my case, Betsy-driven change. Like I've learned to do something better. I've learned to control my my temper better. How do we discern the difference between God working in us and us kind of managing ourselves better? What do we want to be on the lookout for? Yeah, and and that's, I think it's a subtle thing because um, I think it would be a misunderstanding to say that once we believe that it's all about God and Christ Jesus, then we just kind of stop trying. I absolutely believe that the more that God is at work in us, the more that we actually try. It's a different kind of trying. So it certainly Wait, should— what, what do you mean it's a different kind of trying? Right. Well, that's the thing. It's it's not an inactivity. You know, Philippians 2 speaks of how uh, we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in us, which is interesting. It's saying actually our work happens the more that we understand what God is doing inside of us. So it's not a matter of either us trying hard or not. I think it's a matter of us trying in a manner where we are humbly trusting versus trying in a manner where we're anxiously assuming that we've got it under control. And it's hard. I mean, that sounds simpler than it actually is. It's pretty subtle. I would say the more that we find ourselves inclined to pray and the more that we find ourselves inclined to give thanks when we see growth— those are signs that we're starting to realize that it's not all on us, but it's through Christ that we can grow. Great. Thanks so much, Jeff, for bringing that discussion to us. This is Betsy Hart. I'm here today with Jeff Ziegler on another episode of Gospel Mindfulness. So thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. 
This has been Gospel Mindfulness, a ministry of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Hinsdale, Illinois. Trinity's mission is to experience and extend the life-changing love of Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Trinity, visit us at trinityhinsdale.com. And if this podcast has been helpful for you, you can help us out by subscribing to it, sharing it with a friend, and leaving a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use. Thank you.